is our last Sunday for the uh, Operation uh, Christmas Child Gifts, so they'll be collecting those boxes up today. Thank you all for uh, who contributed to that. Um, also, today is our quarterly missions offering uptake, so um, if you uh, can uh, provide some, some funding, we have seven families that we support, missionary families from around the world. Um, we have our offering box back at the welcome table. If you can just indicate on a check or an envelope and market missions, uh, we appreciate that as well. Um, we're entering a, a time of, of thanksgiving and thankfulness, and because of that, one of the things that we want to do as a church is show our thanks to the people that serve our community. And so we're doing a, a project for the police and the fire department here in Urbandale where we're going to be providing some healthy snacks and drinks for them just to show some thanks. Um, we contacted both the departments and said, hey, how can we you know, express our gratitude for the service that you, you do throughout the year? And, and that was kind of the suggestion that they gave us. Um, just to provide those. So we're going to be purchasing those gifts, but we're also going to be giving them thank you cards, and that's where I'm asking for your help. If next Sunday, if you can bring a thank you card um, for the fire and the police department, you can kind of figure out which bin goes for which, okay? Don't mix them up. That's just a bad thing, okay? So, um, but if you can add a card into the basket, then we'll be uh, delivering those during the week of Thanksgiving. If someone wants to help deliver, we have six uh, fire stations and the police department to deliver to. So if you're interested in helping on that, let me know and I'll add you to the team. Okay. Um, now we're going to have our Haiti team come up. Um, we recently sent a group um, of missionaries, local missionaries, out to Haiti and they um, want to come and kind of share what God did for them. Now children, those of you that are waiting for um, Generation Jesus or Sunday School, we're going to ask you to stay in the sanctuary and listen to this presentation, see what these people did for others, and then you'll be dismissed right after the Haiti presentation. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, good morning. Our team is really grateful today to have this opportunity to share with you about our experience in Haiti. I have a verse that I want to read from Psalm 57. I thank you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing your praises among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the skies. We are so thankful. We are singing his praises for his unfailing love and for his faithfulness to us during our entire trip. God protected us. He provided for us, and we felt his presence with us. We want to, as a team, just share, um, we want to thank you for your prayers that sustained us. We thank you um, for your financial support that helped us to be able to participate in many opportunities um, and ministries in Haiti. Each of us is going to share, we each have like two minutes to share, uh, some things we did, how we saw God working, and how the trip impacted us individually, and Norb is going to start. I need a slide, slide number one, please, to come up. Yeah. The, okay, great. Okay. Um, we had the opportunity to build some school desks for Promise for Haiti, and we had about nine Haitians help us with uh, getting going on that. And JR and I were able to hire these Haitians, give them some money to help us. And we started the day, the morning out, with prayer and the devotion. So that's just a picture of us holding hands and having a prayer time. And so, yeah, we went on to number two, please. The picture of uh, the desk. Yeah, we built that by God's grace. 
And then number three, please. Um, we had the opportunity to um, preach at a countryside church about Jesus is the living water. And our theme verse was John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. So we talked about Jesus, who is the source of eternal life, the real living water that we, that we need. And we felt the presence of the Lord with us in our time together. And God was really good. We could really sense his presence. I'm looking for some slides there, but I'll keep going. Um, after that, we had the opportunity to go to, to Jude's uh, church and, and share with him and preach there with him. And I was able to preach with, uh, at Jude's church a sermon called The Five Things That Help You Grow as a Christian. So we were really sensing the presence. I have a little video that also goes with that. Okay, there's, there's uh, the Countryside Church. That's Ruby, my translator. You can go to the next slide, please. Okay, so that's that one. Okay, that's uh, the church where I was preaching at the living water. Jesus is the living water, so keep going, please. Uh, there's a video coming up. Well, those are the benches that we built at our Jews Church with like four hired Haitians. And uh, the video's not coming up? Okay. Um, so I will, I will kind of end it up here. We, we sense God's presence many, many times. One instance was the table saw uh, wasn't working. We needed a table saw really bad to cut the boards for the benches, the desk. And we held hands around the saw and asked the Lord to fix it. And when we said amen, a man came over and said, what's going on? And we said, we need the saw fixed. And he said, let me look at it. And he fixed it up right away. So God did that many times for us with different tools and things. And I was impacted by the people's sense of joy and worship. Um, they just love the Lord so much. And they have so little, but they love God very much. And that impacted me. Thank you. Well, I guess it sounds like maybe we should have all conferred with each other as to what we were going to say, because a lot of what I have to say is the same as Norb. Um, the thing that impacted me the most was all throughout the trip, and before we went, we covered everything in prayer, and over and over again, God just, he showed up, um, like immediately for our prayers. He answered them, and it was in such a way that it could only be him. Uh, during the trip, I wasn't one that had a specific job, <laughs> so I was just kind of everybody's helper. Um, while the ladies were doing the VBS, I just kind of stood around, and then I helped put on the bracelets and things. I, I did try to help um, with the singing and handing out candy, and I got to have all the fun jobs. I got to help um, when we did the, like, the recess part. I um, did the, what do you call it, the parachutes and had all the kids, they just absolutely loved the parachutes. We had lots of fun with that. We blew up balloons and bounced around beach balls and um, just the shrills of joy that they had was just amazing. Um, and then the second week, um, I would help uh, Karen because Mary went home. So I <laughs> helped Karen with um, health and hygiene. 
And then in the afternoons, I got the, um, the joy of going into uh, the kindergarten room at Jude's school and painting um, Noah's Ark on the wall. So um, um, a couple of the Haitians helped me, and I had so much fun. This was actually a um, surprise to me. I didn't know that I had this talent. <laughs> I've done it on quilts many, many times, but I've never painted on a wall or, you know, on paper or anything like that. So it was just, it was kind of a challenge. I was um, kind of fearful of doing it, so I just prayed a lot before we went, and God showed up. It worked great. <laughs> Well, as I, we all have said, God worked in our lives way before we ever went to Haiti. We all prayed about going on this trip, and none of us ever wavered in our desires to go. We all stayed together as a team, and we all knew that we were chosen to go on this team together. Um, I had a, a state... Uh, uh, quote that I had read and it says God created you for ministry if you're not serving you're just existing God wants to use you to make a difference in the world and that to me is really important because I believe that we all should be doing something to serve the Lord and going to Haiti if you have my slides up there that first picture there um, is us right after we landed in Cap Haitian and our first feet on the ground in Haiti. That was an important time for me because that day changed my life. Um, because that day, Haiti got my heart. So you can go to the next slide. Um, that's me with a little girl and um, the children there were all beautiful. There wasn't ever a child there that didn't have a smile on their face. And that was at the school, one of the schools we went to. And that little girl was there with her mother. And she, she, came, she came to me and she let me hold her. And I was, I was blessed by that. You can go to the next one. This day here was a day that we got to go to the hospital and we got to go with Musaki, which was, he's the chaplain at the hospital. This day was a day that really touched my life and being a nurse, um, I felt this was where I should be all the time. Um, we, we got to pray with each patient in the hospital that was there that couldn't afford to pay for their, their health care. Many of them were laying in the hallways on gurneys. And um, it was just very touching to me. And um, I just felt really blessed to be able to be there. We saw a little baby, a newborn baby, be born that day. and. Um, was premature but that day I was able to lay my hands on that baby and pray to God to pre please breathe life into that child so that was another day that was very touching to me you can go to the next one 
that day was at the school, the first school we went to. It looks like I'm being mobbed, but really wasn't. This was after we had done our hygiene classes that Karen and I did. But the children, they loved to get their pictures taken. So I, I had taken their picture and they all, then you show them their picture because they never get to see what they look like. So I was showing them their pictures. <laughs> so they were all waiting patiently to get to see it. And I love that about the kids. You can go to the next one. This picture here was a day we went up to the countryside and we were went up there with John Robert. And John Robert is the head of the um, health partnership program in Haiti. That's part of Promise for Haiti. Um, going up to the countryside, we went and saw um, uh, the person in the green, her name is Denise, and then that was her niece that, that she lives with. And walking back to her place was like you were walking back to the secret garden. It was just very beautiful and very peaceful. But even though they don't have hardly anything, the first thing they did was they offered us chairs for all of us to sit down and, and to be with them. And um, that was just very touching, too. And many people ask me, is this your first trip to Haiti? And I said, yes, it's my first trip to Haiti, but it is not my last trip to Haiti. All right. Uh, this was my second time to Pinyon. Uh, we're in this picture here, we're at Jude's painting, and these two little guys come in, and he grabs my shirt and he says, watch this. Took a cell phone battery and had these lights working. So they're intelligent. They, they're smart. They just need opportunity. They need to be taught. You know, with a lot of things in, in Haiti, they don't know certain things because they've never been taught how to survive, basically. You can go to the next one. This one here, again, is in front of Jude School. This is where Jude challenged a young man to go out in the community to get help for gasoline, food, and they got a bunch of high schoolers together and they filled potholes in the road to better the community. Not for the school, not for Jude, not for the church, but for the people in the community. And he challenged a young man to do it and he did an awesome job. There was trials through the, you know, a couple trials and as I watched Jude and this young man handle it, they did it very godly. And Jude always had a smile on his face. And in this picture, you can't see it, but on, if I'm looking at it with you, it'd, it'd be the left. He's just a little further down there by that white on the left. He had a group around him, and he's over there solving problems with, you know, God's grace and God's wisdom. You can go to the next one. This right here is Farm Ep. The guy that you see on the green shirt would be your left. That's my brother Edmund. He is feeding widows. Normally, Alicia and Ann get together, send a bunch of money over, and Edmund feeds 100 to 130, I think, widows. Well, this year they didn't go. At the last minute, I went to my boss and said, hey, I need some money. You know, this is normally what goes on. They're not going. What can you do? And he sent a couple hundred dollars with us and the Lord did what he could with what we had, you know. And it just 
warms my heart that he does this for the widows. Because when you're a widow and you have children, you're on your own. No man wants you. No man wants the responsibility of somebody else's child. So you're basically on your own. You fend for yourself. So this is something he does uh, twice a year. He even takes money out of his own pocket and does Christmas bags for him. Rice, beans, oil, and spaghetti. So you can go to the next one. That is John Robert and his wife. He is the one that Mary was talking about that we met. Uh, very godly man. Very focused on the people of Haiti. You know, he wants to build some things and help support pastors and teach Haitians how to do things. Next one. I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. Mary took so long. I'm sorry. Okay, so this picture right here, go ahead and hit the next two after this one. one that is Pinon. That is up the mountain, about halfway up this big old mountain where the Pinon sign is. The first year we went with Courtney and all them, we climbed the mountain early and we couldn't see Pinon because it was foggy. So we go up there Thursday morning, you could see everything. And what a beautiful country this is. As you're looking at these pictures, you don't see the streets in town and what it really looks like. But this is, when I look at this picture, I see love, I see God's love, and I see the people, how they, they have love. And they need to be taught how to love and care for each other. Uh, how to look to the future, not just to the day. And it's a beautiful country. I love it there. Uh, I hope God makes it possible where I can end up there one day, you know, just be a missionary. Uh, the verse I'm, I'm going to leave you with is Philippians 4.1. And with all my brothers over there, as my wife said, I had an entourage, but they're not my entourage, they're my brothers. Uh, Philippians 4.1. So my brothers who I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Do stand firmly in the Lord and remember how much I love you. So that's, that's like a life first for me and for my guys over there and my friends and my brothers. So. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, our mornings were spent, um, most mornings, at the schools. And this is, was just a, a picture. Rhonda was sharing the um, salvation message using the wordless book. And that is Sparky our interpreter and he just was great but he um she was talking about jesus dying on the cross and he did that and he really is not hitting ronda in the face but it was a powerful moment for me because it made me realize what a privilege we had to actually share about jesus and the hope that these kids can have in him um, just the freedom to do that and it was great this was the only time I was really afraid in Haiti, ever. <laughs> Nothing else scared me, uh, not even a three-inch cockroach. <laughs> um, but that is Edmund taking us on a moto ride. And um, thank you to Debbie. I nearly split her in half squeezing her. But that, it was fun. An old lady can still do fun things. So anyway, move on. Um, the next one was the farm up, I think. No, those are the kids holding up their arms with their salvation bracelets. Just a reminder, Rhonda has hers on, um, that Jesus loves them and he died for them and there's hope in heaven. Um, I also have the farm 
farm, when we gave uh, food to the widows, that was, I mean, just biblical, what we're supposed to do, and those ladies with their big smiles, and um, how appreciative they were, and it is true, they have no one to help them, and um, no man, no, no jobs, but it's so cool that Edmund organizes that and that we got to be a part of that. Um, these are the kids that can't, their family can't afford to send them to school. So, but they're happy. I don't know if you can see, somebody gave them cute little hats and they're smiling even though they have nothing. Um, they were just happy. So I um, was very challenged in my faith because those people do, they have, yeah, like JR said, you don't see the garbage on the streets, their, their dirt floors in their homes. Um, it's very depressing in a way, but they are happy. They're, they're joyful, and their joy is in the Lord. And that challenged me because we have so much and um, made me think about what I have my joy in. So hopefully that will stay with me for a long time. You can just flip through my pictures, they're in no particular order, and I will be repeating some of what others said, but from the moment Karen told me she had been praying I'd go on the Haiti trip, I felt peace and assurance I was to go. Rick felt the same and never questioned that I shouldn't go. While in Haiti, I went into classrooms with Jackie, Debbie, and our wonderful Haitian interpreter, Don Fred, also known as Sparky. I taught the gospel message using flannel graph, Sparky, as we saw earlier, made the lessons come alive. I was nervous to teach that first lesson, but felt the Holy Spirit giving me the words. After the flannel graph lesson, we passed out salvation bracelets, explaining the meaning of each color on the bracelet. Then along with Sparky, we sang the Sunday school song that I sang in Sunday school, My Heart Was Black With Sin. We sang it in Creole to the children. A joyful moment for me was when we were in another classroom and we could hear the kindergarten teacher on the other side of the school singing the song, continuing to sing it with her class. Although I'm back home in the States, I still see the sights and hear the sounds of Haiti. Bonjour, bonsoir, muddy roads, rice and beans, cold showers, rooster crowing, entire family riding on a moto, Crowded market, children singing, children laughing, magnificent double rainbow. I came home leaving a part of my heart in Haiti. I fell in love with the people and the country, and Lord willing, I will go back. I came home with a new sense of knowing I can experience the joy of the Lord in any circumstance, whether it be in the midst of abundance or next to nothing, because Jesus is where the joy is. Wash me white as snow, and 
and in his word I'm told I'll walk the streets of shining gold. Oh, wonderful, wonderful day, he washed my sins away. I hope we did that translation correctly, but Jude helped me, helped me with that when we were learning that song. Uh, so just a little bit about, you, you can sit down if you want, um, a little bit about what um, I did. Uh, my main focus uh, was to teach, um, uh, and Mary helped me with this, menstrual health and hygiene classes to young girls. We went to five different schools and we provided these girls with menstrual kits, which is which is a, a wonderful blessing to them. These kits were um, supplied by Days for Girls organization uh, to have this um, teaching and these kits um, help to give the girls dignity, help them to be able to continue to go to school um, and not miss days of school and miss education. Um, one of the schools, so we went to five different schools. One of them was at Jude's um, my second week and I had three different classes with 50 girls about in each class, so about 150 girls um, I was able to um, to teach and to share these kits, kits with, so that was a blessing. Um, mostly what I want to talk about was how many of you helped us to go on this trip, and it was amazing, your support for us. I want to especially thank uh, Lorelai Marquardt. I'm going to go on to the next picture. Uh, Lorelai, I don't know if she's here today, but um, she sewed... Um, 60 drawstring bags for our team and we filled these bags with um, things for the kids. We had a VBS one day where we played games and um, uh, taught a Bible lesson and um, we then distributed these kits. So thank you uh, Lorelai for sewing for us. That was a blessing. I want to thank um, a couple slides. You can go to the next one. Uh, the next slide, there's two, two children there that I got pictures of. So the next slide, I want to thank the missionaries class, um, the women's missionaries class that meets here um, once a month, I think, because um, they provided me uh, or us with layette kits for the hospital, which um, they sewed the kits. Um, Marge um, sewed also drawstring bags for us. Um, and then we filled, they filled these bags with supplies for infants. Um, these are some of the supplies, just things like soap and baby shampoo and um, that we were able to give to the hospital. And these are such a blessing because um, they encourage uh, moms to come to the hospital to deliver their babies and it greatly decreases um, the infant and the uh, maternal um, mortality rate. And so they're very thankful for these kits. I hope that we can continue to send them or bring these um, to the hospital in Haiti. Um, lastly, several of you just handed me cash, and I had a specific purpose for this cash. Um, I saved the cash, and you can go to the next slide, and with the cash, um, we were able, uh, our second week, to go to the countryside, and we were able to bring uh, food to about 40 families. Um, it was amazing. Um, these families live in the countryside. Um, we were able to give them rice, beans, oil, pasta, garlic, onion, and some soap. Um, these families often 
are, they have difficulty getting any of these items. They're costly when they live in the countryside and they just don't even have the resources. So um, those of you who contributed to this, I'm so thankful that we had enough money to be able to feed uh, 40 families and um, that was a blessing um, to them. So thank you. Those are some ways that you all helped us um, on this trip. Um, the way this trip impacted me, I don't know if I can say it without having tears, but um, going to Haiti has impacted my life in so many ways. To be a part of this missions team has given me a focus and a passion that God has placed in my heart for the people of Haiti that I never could have imagined. This year for me was about how God looks past my failures and my sin, things that could hinder me from serving and loving people if I would dwell on my inadequacies and my faults and my sin. But instead, God sees my faith, and because of his mercy, he chooses to use me in ways that I could never have ever imagined. But I am incredibly humbled and thankful for the opportunity. So thank you for allowing us to share this morning. Um, you are a very important part of this trip. We thank you for your prayers, for your financial support. Uh, for many of us, as you've heard, it's been a life-changing experience. Um, and we are just very grateful for this opportunity. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Haiti team. Uh, obviously evident that God was working and continues to work, and we're grateful for that. I'd invite you to pray with me as we look to study God's word. Father, we come this morning so thankful that you're a good and gracious God who's at work all around the world, and we have heard of your goodness and your greatness, and we pray for those who've had their lives impacted because they went to Haiti, and those who are in Haiti who had their lives impacted by those who came. We pray that you'd work in each heart, uh, drawing those who don't know you to yourself and those who do deeper in their love for you. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, that we might see uh, you in all of your glory, Lord Jesus, that we might see you as a holy, a just, and a righteous judge, but also a merciful and compassionate Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're aware of the political situation, most of you are aware that the president issued a mandate for people to have vaccinations if they're employers who have a hundred or more employees that they're supposed to have everybody vaccinated. Well, interesting to me that uh, people were kind of afraid of that, you know. Employers started, you know, making provisions to get everybody vaccinated because OSHA was in charge of enforcing it and they were going to be charging fines and people's understanding of the, the power and the far-reaching impact of OSHA led them to be fearful of non-compliance because of the consequences. And I was thinking, you know, oftentimes we're a whole lot more afraid of the government than we are God. 
Well, the government's going to tell us to do something, we're going to do it. But if God says to do something, well, not so much. And this morning, as we continue on in Matthew 23, we're going to see that God, the Son, spoke truth that we should be afraid of. Truth that we should take note of. Truth that should impact our lives as people who seek to live for him. The, the woes that he issued in Matthew chapter 23. And I said there, there, are, three, there are three sets of two woes, that's six, and then one final woe. And these woes were spoken with his authority. And his authority, Jesus' authority, should stimulate us to humility and should motivate us to move away from religious hypocrisy and into a greater depth of spiritual authenticity, reality, a real walk with God. At least that's what I think these are intended to do. And so this Jesus' words are, 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 are helpful, you know, and they're hopeful, but they're also intended to, to humble us and to encourage us to get rid of the, the, the junk in our lives and to keep and pursue him with all of who we are. So I think as I come to the text, a healthy reverence for Jesus. You know, Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is speaking to us in this text. The woes, as I said last week, and I'm quoting someone else, the, the woes given to the scribes and Pharisees become warnings to God's people today. They're, they're warnings to us of how we ought to live. And so I think with a healthy reverence for Jesus, humble reflection on who we are and what God wants to reveal to us, and then honest redirection under the guidance of the Spirit will move us further along in spiritual authenticity and away from religious hypocrisy. So I'm, I'm in Matthew chapter 23, and if you have your Bibles or your phone or a device or something, you can get there, or if you want to reach under the seat in front of you, there should be a Bible there. In Matthew chapter 23, we're considering the woes, and these are the last three uh, woes that we see in the text. We see two more forms of hypocrisy, which God really abhors, and which point us to what God really adores, what he wants for us. I'm going to read the text beginning with Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 down through verse 36. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like, the, you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness, uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill 
and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute in your, in, from city to city. That upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. The first form of hypocrisy that I see in the text, I've labeled it, it, it comes about when, when we appear righteous, but we are actually rebellious. And there are two figures, two metaphors, two descriptions that highlight God's disdain for hypocrisy while we're still remaining rebellious. And the first one, uh, I've labeled it this, the first metaphor that's used is dishes, right? You, you have the dishes that are clean on the outside, but inside they're full of crud. You ever taken your dishes out of the dishwasher and not looked at, you know, whether it's clean on the inside and then you, you all of a sudden, I, I mean, I've, I've like, you know, tar- using the spoon, Ooh, wait a second, there's still crud on this spoon or, you know, it's like this bowl still has uh, rice on it, you know, rice doesn't come off very easy, you know, it just sticks there, it's like glue. But the, I, I've labeled this description as a focus on external cleanliness that ignores internal corruption. And Jesus kind of lays out a couple of corrective measures here. First of all, to concede hypocrisy, to admit it, to acknowledge it. Now, what's hypocrisy? It's a mask. It's wearing a mask that disguises what's really inside. This is actually is a term uh, in, uh, in the theater because they would pretend. They're pretending. See, they wear a mask. So it wasn't, wasn't who they are. It was a pretend to disguise their true identity. So just like the dishes that these scribes and Pharisees meticulously washed, and they did this, were clean on the outside, internally they were corrupt. And they were full of, as the text says, robbery and self-indulgence. So they were outwardly clean. Inwardly, they were corrupt. Now, if you look at the text, it, you know, somebody read the text, and it, comes, it becomes obvious that he's referring to them, them, not just the dishes. This is not just about dishes. This is about them personally because he says, they, you brood of, uh, you, you blind Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they, verse 25, they, well, inside they, speaking of them. And if you went over to Luke chapter 11, verse 49, you would see that he's talking about you. He uses this term. He says, inside of you, you. So this is a speaking to them. Now, what does it mean to be full? It means to be overtaken by. Have you ever gone to the store and uh, bought, uh, bought some peaches? Like, oh, these are really good peaches, you know. And you cut into that peach, and it's like, it's just completely rotten. Or you, you get a, a muskmelon or a cantaloupe, and you, you go in the other one, you knock on it. It seems good. You smell it. Yeah, I can smell it. And so then you take it home, and you cut it open. Ooh, it's rotten. This is the picture. You're full of it. You're, you're full on the inside. They robbed people that they were supposed to be serving. And we saw this back in chapter 15. 
they, they taught as doctrine the traditions of men so that when people would say, oh, this money that I have is supposed to be given to my parents to honor them, they would say, no, tell them it's given to God, it's korban, it's, it's dedicated to God. We saw this in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus came into the temple and what were they doing? They were stealing from people, basically. They had their own, they had their own racket going, you know. Upcharges on, trans, you know, uh, exchanging money for, for sacrifices. They were stealing the people from the people they're supposed to serve. We expect to see this like in a communist country. We expect to see it in Cuba or in China. We don't expect to see it in the church, among God's people. But it happens. This kind of hypocrisy. We see that they're stealing robbery, and full, all kinds of, of robbery and self-indulgence. So they stole from the people so that they could benefit from themselves. I was, I was listening to a, a take on the, on the internet. Some, some pastor was being interviewed because of some uh, proposed indiscretions. And, and they said, uh, well, you have here a list of, uh, uh, that you listed. You spent $30,000 on clothes last year for your ministry. Yeah, well, I was traveling quite a bit, you know, and I was sweating through clothes. I probably should have spent more. One, one pastor... He, he had a fund going, uh, trying to raise money for uh, a Gulfstream 650. There's only, uh, at that time, this is a few years ago, at that time there were only four Gulfstream 650s in the world that were brand new. He's only trying to raise $65 million. So he could jet around. Maybe he could go to the whatever that climate change summit was. You know, bring one, he'd be one of the guys there with his private jet. You know, this happens in the church. We should identify these people. We should ferret these people out, and we should certainly not become these people. And Jesus says, "That's the hypocrisy." That, that I'm fighting against. And so you, you, you need to concede your hypocrisy. Then you need to cleanse our heart. Verse 26. You blind Pharisee. <laughs> I love Jesus. You're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of this people. You can't even. You're blind. You're spiritually blind. In the dark. So Jesus rebukes and he redirects the spiritually blind Pharisees and, and anybody who would follow in their footsteps who prioritize outward religious appearance or conduct and ignore internal corruption. It's not hard to pretend. You just got to look good, right? Show up for church, wear your clothes, right clothes. For all those people who care, I want you to notice that I tucked my shirt in and uh, I have a belt on, you know. A few Sundays ago, I had my shirt untucked. I caught some flack for that because I wasn't wearing the right spiritual garb, you know. So I just want you to know I'm, uh, I'm with it. I'm not wearing my slippers today. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing, you know, dress shoes just because I want to make sure I appear spiritual. No. It's okay to wear nice clothes. It's not okay to wear nice clothes to disguise the corruption in our hearts. Jesus wants to redirect our lives in, in, the right, in the right way. 
transformation, he says, clean your heart. Why? Because transformation begins on the inside. It doesn't start on the outside. And if the problem is in the inside, then we can't start on the outside. We have to start on the inside. True, true cleanliness only begins with a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, how does that happen? Well, we have to repent. Because sin is leading us astray. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 says, But your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. So it's, our problem is sin. And it separates us from God. And if we're separated from God, then we can't act godly. Because we have no power to do that. Jesus himself said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4. So we have to turn away from our own self-reliance. Because every one of us is born naturally walking away from God. Captain of our own ship. Going to do things our own way. Don't tell me what to do. I'm fine on my own. Thank you very much. We have to turn from that and surrender and confess our sins and turn and trust Christ and accept his death on the cross as a payment for our sin. Then and only then do we enter into that relationship with him. Jesus said it in John 3, 16. Most of us know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. But then verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to, that the world through him might be saved. Through faith in him. Trusting in him. So that Paul could say as a child of God that Jesus came and, and he did this, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then in verse 21, he says, He that is God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Get that? In Christ... We're a new creation, and in Christ, we have the righteousness of God. So that we're able to be and are clean on the inside, in Him, in union with Him. And so since corruption resides in the heart, complete cleansing must begin there. As Paul was able to say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Okay? So that's where we start. And I'm not going to go there, but if you want to check this out, this whole idea that the, the corruption begins from within, go to Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, that Jesus said it's the inside of the cup. <laughs> you know, it's what, what comes from the inside. That's what defiles the man. And so that must be cleansed first. So we see, first of all, that there's a focus on the external cleanliness that ignores internal corruption. The second figure kind of builds on it and illustrates this. And the, the second uh, description that I put down was a beautiful veneer that masks what's vile. And the image is of a painted tomb. When they were coming up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, they would paint the tombs so that people would know not to, not to go near the tombs because if they touched a tomb or a dead person, they would be defiled and unclean and they wouldn't be able to celebrate. And so he says, don't, don't touch, don't touch. Can't get, can't get near it. The emphasis was on religious observance. 
an external appearance of righteousness when what's inside is actually rancid, rotten, horrible. You know, we could paint the outside and make it look really good. I remember as a high school, well, actually it was in college, I was working for a farmer, and uh, we, on the farm, this, for those who don't understand this, they had a lot of livestock. And on the farm, at that point, he had a lot, a lot of livestock. And so they had what they called an incinerator. And so what they would do is they'd put the dead livestock into this big incinerator thing, and then they, they would uh, cremate them. Okay, that's the best way to say it. Uh, they would burn them and incinerate them. I remember one day, and the incinerator looks pretty nice on the outside, you know, this thing has got, it's a metal thing, steel, has a big lid, you know, it looks like a big uh, good uh, cooker, you know, the outside cooker, and so it had, uh, and I went in one day, I had to, had to add something to the incinerator. Well, it had been broken for a few days, and when I opened the lid to the incinerator, it was moving. There was so much decay and so many maggots inside of it that the, the dead stuff inside was moving. Externally, it looked pretty nice. Inside, it was rotten to the core. And Jesus is saying to these people, that's you. You painted the tomb. All spiffy on the outside, nice whitewash on the outside, but inside... It's, it's, it's really bad. And I want you to see how he describes it. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead men's bone and all uncleanness. That's the uncleanness that I saw. Verse 28 then, he says, this is a summary. Even though outwardly you appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What an indictment against those people who were the students and the teachers and the protectors of the law. You're lawless. But could it be true of us? Not that we're headed for hell if we know Jesus is our Savior, but it could be if we're in church and we don't know Jesus and we're pretending. It could be a lesson for us who are in church that we are still hiding lawlessness and hypocrisy on the inside. Are we living a double life? Full of hypocrisy means overtaken by it. You know, we're pretending. Well, I go to church. You know, if you watch, I'm even going to put some money in there for the mission offering. You know. And I'm wearing the right clothes. And I go to Bible study. And I even tell people what God is teaching me sometimes. You know, I, I, I play the part. I do what I should be doing, and I serve, you know. We, we heard that up here, got to serve, because if you love Jesus, you serve. So I'm serving, and I want you to know it, but inside, I'm not a child of God. So I ask you this morning, do you know that you have life in Christ? Do you know that there's life in your soul because Jesus Died on the cross and you're trusting his death and that alone to save you from your sin. Are we just doing moral improvements? You know, I'm making changes in my life to give the appearance that I'm part of the family of God. 
Is my Christian life lived out of duty? Or is there delight in my soul and joy? Do I, do, do I, do I want to become more holy? Do I willfully and joyfully pursue godliness? Or is it just kind of a pain? Or it's just kind of a show? You know, I, I, I do, mom and dad think I should. So, you know, I've got family members that if I didn't do this, they, they, you know, they might cut me out of the will. So I, I pretend to be a child of God. Now, all the people Jesus spoke to, they, they were totally pretenders. They'd say, oh, no, I don't really have any life in Christ if they were honest. But see, here's the difference. God knows the difference. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 tells us that God knows there's no creature hidden from his eyes. But all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, God is not fooled. So if you're listening online, you're here this morning, and you think you're pretending, and you think you're fooling people, you may fool people, but you won't fool God. He calls us to repentance. He's clean the heart. Repentance that leads to salvation. And if we're a child of God, repentance that leads to greater communion and fellowship with God. So there is this hypocrisy that God abhors it's when we appear righteous but we're actually rebellious this is the second one in verses 29 through 36 when we pretend to respect God's messengers and his message but we really reject both we pretend that we're respecting it and there's two ways that uh, uh, pretense the pretense which Jesus final woe condemns is proven. Uh, first we see there's this pretend loyalty. What does it say in verses 29 and 30? It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in you know, crucifying them. And so in their practice, they were building tombs. Now what do you do that for? You build tombs to the prophets to demonstrate that you support them. And you adorn the, mon the monuments, you decorate them because you're showing your support for them. And so through their practice and their proclamation, verse 30, we would never have done that. I think about that, I wonder, most of us would probably say, if I was alive in the 1830s in the United States of America, I would have been a vocal opponent of slavery. I think most of us would probably say that. I hope most of us would say that. Yet, how many of us today are vocal opponents of abortion? Oh, why did you say that? Well, easy now to say back in 1830 I would have opposed something, but it's not so easy to say now there's a, there's a form of oppression, there's a form of injustice that, that I would that I'm not very vocal against, but I probably should be. You see, we can distance ourselves from it. Well, we go to, you know, I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, you say. Well, I listen to a lot of good preachers, you know, and then you can name a list of your podcast favorites, you know, the people that you listen to online, people that you have podcasts and you download it and you listen to them. I go to Christian concerts. I really go to, I like, I, that's my favorite group, you know, I like to hear them. I'm going to them. They're showing up. Or you listen to Christian comedians, you read your Bibles, you come to church, you carry your Bible, you say, I'm going to Bible study, and we put on the veneer. 
but are we like those that condemn? That Jesus condemned. That, that, that leads to the practice of hostility. What they really did was they practiced hostility. They pretended that they were loyal, but they weren't really loyal. In verse 31, Jesus says, Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves. You testified, you said there are fathers, because, and if they're their fathers, then that kind of implicates you in their crime. Jesus says, you're, you're just really no different than them. Implicates them in the guilt. Then in verse 32, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. What is he saying to them? You're going to do it. Because just in a few short days, they had pledged that they were going to take Jesus out. And then they incited the crowds to have him crucified. And who was Jesus anyway? Deuteronomy 18.15. He's the great prophet. He's the greatest prophet. Oh, we don't kill the prophets. We, we, we celebrate and we, we support the prophets. Oh yeah, right, but you're going to crucify the prophet. The prophet of God. The savior of the world. So you are guilty. And in doing so, they're chips off the old block. Apple doesn't fall very far from the tree, right? The acorn doesn't fall from the, far from the oak tree. They grew up to be just like their fathers. And in, he says, and you'll fill up, verse 32, you fill up. So in rejecting the truth, the, the, the Messiah, and rejecting the people of God, and rejecting Jesus himself, and having him crucified, they would fill up. The guilt of all the generations past that deserved to be punished but weren't, and they were the punishment was going to come upon them. See, in a few in a few chapters, we're going to read this. This is what they say about the crucifixion. His blood be upon us and upon our children. The blood of Jesus. They're saying, His blood be upon us and Jesus. In that way, they are going to fill up. This is the culmination of all of the hatred, all of the animosity towards God, His Word, His message, and His messengers from the dawn of sin in the garden until now, and it's coming on them. He said, it's, you're, you're going to get it. You serpents, you poisonous snakes, which was a metaphor for vile disgusting spreading of death that's who you are your fate is sealed how shall you escape hell the fate of the Iowa State Cyclone football team was sealed by a 62 yard field goal at the end of the game over it's sealed this is God speaking. You see, the one, only one with authority to actually fulfill the judgment, the woes, is the one who can say woe to you. And that's Jesus. He's the one. And you are going to, he's going to send, verse 34, he's going to send prophets and wise men and scribes, and that's what he did. He sent prophets and wise men and scribes. He sent prophets and teachers, the apostles and disciples. And how did they treat him? Well, you can read it. I'm not going to go there. We're going to skip over it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, Paul says, yeah, I was beaten. I was scourged. I was near death. I was treated and mistreated. And they, they did this. And in so doing, the scribes and Pharisees will demonstrate their solidarity with their fathers so that the guilt of all these people, if you look at verse 35, that 
at least the NASB starts with the word that, that is the result, the consequence of you doing this, is that the guilt of all will fall on you. You're going to be guilty of all the righteous blood shed from the, the first righteous martyr, Abel, to the last righteous martyr, Zechariah. I want you to read at the end of verse 35 what it says. It says, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom, what does your text say? Whom you murdered. They weren't alive when Berechiah was killed. But they're guilty of his death. Whom you murdered. And all these things, verse 36, all these things will come about. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. It's the, it's the accumulated guilt and, and necessary judgment of unbelieving mankind from the fall of man until that point was going to come upon them. They're going to be guilty of it. They joined their fathers in rejecting the Messiah. They joined their fathers in rejecting the messengers of God. They joined their fathers in rejecting the message of God. And you say, well, that's tough on them, but what about me? You understand that every human being is born rejecting God's Messiah, born rejecting God's message, born rejecting God's messengers. We are all in our hearts born as people who are sinful and wicked and no less righteous than they. We're murderous, rebellious, and treacherous hearts. I like what John Stott said here. Now, think, I want you to listen to this. It's, it's, it's brilliant, I think. John Stott said this, Before we begin to see the cross as something done for us that leads to faith and worship, we have to see it as something done by us. Before we see the cross as something done for us, we need to see the cross as something done by us, which leads to repentance. But we focus, tend to focus on what's done for us, which leads to worship and joy, which we should, but it's by us. Stuart Townsend captured in the words of, of the hymn, it go like this, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know it, it is finished. It was my sin that held him there. That's it, folks. Until we see the cross is something done by us. We'll never fully grasp the cross as something done for us. And so we take the warning that they have been given here. And we take it to ourselves. So you say, you know, every year uh, I have a, a physical examination, right? So the, the doctor examines me physically, asks me some questions, takes blood tests and does all this stuff in order to identify and address any issues that need correction. Here, Jesus gives us a spiritual examination. To identify and address anything that needs to be corrected to remove any hypocrisy and to move us towards spiritual authenticity. He wants to see us changed. If you're a believer, there's a separate set of applications. But if you're here, you're listening, and you don't know Christ, then guess what? The indictment against those who are, you may be a pretender, right? 
veneer of righteousness with a vileness underneath and you're just pretending God. You, we are in no better, those people are in no better shape than people who are just outright rejecting Jesus. You just say, I don't care about Jesus at all or I'm pretending to be like Jesus or act like Jesus. Same consequence. And so here's the call. Repent and turn. Because the, the, the glorious and gracious and merciful God is also the just, holy, and righteous. He demands holiness and will judge those who reject him. But here's what Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 say. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. If you don't know Jesus, he's waiting, and he'll receive you. If you do know Jesus, there's a separate set of applications for us. First, it would be that we would contemplate. Search me, O God, and know me, and try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. God, I think about the woes. Is, is there anything in my practice or in my proclamation that would turn people away from Jesus? That they would keep them from knowing you? Am I trying to justify sin in my life? Are there sin in my, is there sin in my life that I'm just trying to rationalize away and, and, and ex- ignore? Am I neglecting justice and, and mercy in relationships with people? Am I just not really gracious to them? Am I not obedient to your word, not, not practicing faithfulness? Is there corruption in my heart? Ask me. Lord, show me. <laughs> All you have to do is ask. God, God's really pretty good at revealing that. You know, I mean, you just have to mean it. If you ask, he, He's willing to show. And Father, help me to see, am I rejecting your message? Where am I doing this? Then there's confession, just when we, we see it, confess it and repent and turn from it so that we clean. And then there's consecration that we would actually understand God has a part in this, I have a part in it. And I don't have time to go into all of it, but uh, God's part and our part, first part is God's word, okay? God's word discerns. God's word instructs. God's word transforms us. Then there's God's people. What do God's people do? They edify, they equip, they encourage us. We need God's word. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrows, the divider and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sorry, I went through that really fast. Hebrews 4.12. Okay. And we need God's people. And we need God's Spirit. God's Spirit teaches us. God's Spirit comforts us. God's Spirit encourages us. And transforms us. So we need to cultivate our walk with God. Now, not as an outward show. And, and I've caught myself doing this, you know. I read my Bible. Yeah, i got to read my Bible. i got to read my Bible. i got to pray. Yeah, we do. But not because I have to, because I want to. Because I get to. And then we need to clothe ourselves, the righteousness of Christ. And so as we close our service, I think about what did Jesus do when he died on the cross? He provided the only means for us to be spiritually authentic, to deliver us from God's wrath. And the bread and the, the juice represent his body broken and his blood shed is a sacrifice that he did for us, but we did to him.
So as you think and take the bread and cup, think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for your love, for your goodness and your grace. And I ask now that uh, you would work in each of our hearts to move us from spiritual hypocrisy to spiritual authenticity. In Jesus' name, amen.